In the chill of winter, we often look forward to spring when trees, plants, and flowers burst into bloom. And while plants and trees may appear to be dead in their wintry habitat, they are very much alive. Stay with us. They need a freezing environment to reset the clock and get the new year's growth started. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. The bare, empty branches of trees in the winter season are a sharp contrast to the life they displayed in the summertime. However, life thrives within trees and plants during the cold winter months. So just how do they survive? Don't leave during the next 15 minutes while we learn how trees and plants stay alive in the harsh winter climate. We'll also consider the incredible beauty that this frosty season offers. ICR biologist Dr. Ken Cummings says even though they may look dead, plants and trees have abundant life under the blankets of frost and snow. It's interesting that even though the leaves are gone, the plant isn't dead. Whether it's a tree, a shrub, or grass, or any kind of herb, the life is still in the tissues of that plant. And as such, they may or may not be photosynthesizing during that time because many stems of trees or shrubs have a green chlorophyll that allows them to do some photosynthesis even though the leaves may not be present. In that process, we're looking at the effects of a pattern of behavior which is dictated by the changing seasons. But in plant life, seasons are defined differently. Most everybody is well aware of winter, spring, summer, and fall seasons. But in the plant world, there's really probably six seasons. There's an early spring and a late spring, early summer and late summer period, and then the regular fall and winter components of the yearly cycle. The reason I sort those out is because plants are sensitive to the different light cycle temperature regimes and will bud or will start to grow at different times in these seasons. And so these additional times in the growing year when plants can resume their activities. So it's the amount of light and the temperature that tell a plant that it's time to become dormant for the winter. Essentially, what happens is the temperature and daylight cycle interact to cause the trees to be prepared for the harshness of the winter temperatures, as well as the wind and the snow and ice. They have to get prepared so as not to cause limbs and twigs and smaller elements of the tree to break away and fall to the ground. Obviously, we depend upon these twigs to have the buds for the next year's growth. And so it's very important that the harsh storms that come during the winter don't strip the trees of all of their potential for growth in the next growing cycle. Johnny Walker is a consulting forester in the Appalachian Mountains of Virginia. He points out that both length of day and length of night assist trees and plants as they go through their dormant stage. The main environmental signal used by our father to uh, trigger the onset of dormancy is day limb. As days begin to get shorter in late summer, growth slows, and eventually a dormant bud develops. But however, it's actually the length of the night that is critical, because short nights stimulate growth, while long, uninterrupted nights stimulate dormancy. Now, day length, of course, is very reliable. 
especially as an environmental signal, since it is perfectly stable from year to year and trees will not be tricked into growing longer because of any kind of abnormal warm fall. So all factors were definitely considered by our father in his creation process. But it's not just a matter of plants and trees surviving the winter. Dr. Cummings says they actually need this dormant resting period. Temperate trees and shrubs need a modest amount of time. And in many cases, they need a freezing environment to reset the clock and get the new year's growth started. So it's a different kind of activity, metabolic activity that's going on. And it's being regulated and controlled, as Scripture says, by the signs and seasons of the cycles of the astrosphere, the heavens above us. Just as the sun and the moon control the day activities, day and night activities, or the monthly activities, we see that the seasonal activity reflected by these parts of the annual cycle of the earth passing around the sun, that sets up a pattern which establishes the cold and winter conditions which reset the clocks on these plants. Johnny Walker. There's stages of dormancy and which God has developed in these plants because dormancy is a time which they slow down and uh, it's a time in which the plants are in such a state that they're protected from these harsh conditions. And they go through various stages in which there's certain growth regulators, abscisic acid plays a role in dormancy, uh, and it's been found to build up at high levels in the fall. So God allows these sort of like chemicals to begin to move throughout the plant and uh it's just the matter of developing, and also there's a, you get into the the release of dormancy. It's got to go through a chilling effect in which the tree and the cells are chilled to a point that they're protected from any kind of freezing of inner parts of the cells. Dr. Dennis England is professor of biology at the Master's College in California. He says scientists are still studying and seeking answers about the miraculous transformations that take place in plants and trees during dormancy. Biologists have said today that maybe what's happening is a process that they call hardening that is really very poorly understood. It is thought that the first thing happens is that the nutrients, many of them, are transported from the leaves to the stem, and then the leaf drops off. This process occurs even in many of them that stay green throughout the winter time. But in this time period, growth ceases. Many of the carbohydrates are transported to the roots. Cell permeability increases so you can move things from cell to cell and eventually down to the root structure quicker. And by the end of this time period, plants can tolerate temperatures down to, it's been estimated between 23 and 14 degrees Fahrenheit. Water moves out of the cells into the space between the cells. Of course, not all the water, but some of it. And then the plant goes into stage two, triggered by freezing temperatures and frost. Here, many times, they found that some of the proteins are replaced by sugar molecules. Some of the lipids will increase, and the plant now can survive down to minus 4 to minus 22 degrees Fahrenheit. But what happens during the hardening process when water molecules in between plant cells freeze? Water freezes, it forms ice crystals, it expands, and these ice crystals have sharp, jagged edges that tear cells apart. Well, when a lot of the water is moved into the space between the cells, 
If they were to form these crystals, they would now tear the cells around them apart. But, you know, it's interesting. They don't form the crystals. An interesting phenomenon occurs here. You get ice formation without crystallization occurring between the cells. And they form smooth edges rather than sharp edges. And because of this, some plants and many trees can survive down to minus 112 degrees Fahrenheit. And some plants and trees even go through a third stage in the hardening process. This is where molecules within frozen cells, the actual motion of the molecules is greatly reduced. The kinetic energy is greatly reduced. And here it's thought that perhaps cells, especially around the edges of them, can actually freeze and survive. And here's where the cell wall comes into play that surrounds the cell membrane because it provides some protection there. But there's thought to be a stage here where the outer portion of the cell can actually freeze itself and the cell still survives. So it's not that it's just in a nice warm blanket of bark, you know, and everything's nice, warm, and cozy on the inside there. But a lot's going on. And again, this is one of these processes that this is just scratching the surface of our trying to understand it. The processes going on within trees and plants during their winter dormancy is truly amazing. But why do they have such an intricate system of survival? Was it developed over millions of years through naturalistic evolution, or was this system designed by a powerful creator? Dr. Englund says God knew what these organisms would need when he created them, so he equipped them for survival. He produced the genetic information and the ability of it to be expressed in anticipation of these conditions and for survival. So when you see the plants going through their stages, they're responding to the environment based on the genetic information they were given earlier, knowing that these changes would occur. Even though the flowers of spring and the colors of fall have disappeared, leaving trees and plants bare for their winter respite, winter has a beauty all its own. And Dr. England says the closer we are to God, the more we'll appreciate this splendor he has created. God has preserved his beauty everywhere, even in a fallen creation. He's preserved his beauty. He really has. And even that which is a hardship, he shows his beauty even through that. He really does. To watch the sun setting over a snowfield is beautiful. To see the vibrant colors in the clouds, even if they be storm clouds, is gorgeous. To look through ice crystals hanging off of a tree or along the bank of a river or to see snow along a waterfalls like either Niagara Falls or at the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. To see the ice and the snow and then to see the water still flowing down under that ice and snow as well. To see water falling off the waterfall and frozen in mid-flight. It's a rare beauty. It's a rare beauty. Winter is also a beautiful time of year because it's the season that we celebrate our Savior's birth. Johnny Walker draws comparisons between the beauty of winter and Christmas. Winter in my Appalachians is a time of snow and, of course, the beautiful season of Christmas. And I believe I would be safe in saying that most of us mountaineers dream of a white Christmas because snow evokes some numerous images that speak of the true meaning of Christmas. Now consider the purity of Christmas. 
There's something about a baby in a manger that depicts the purity of newly fallen snow. And snow represents new life, for when it melts, it waters the earth, preparing the soil for new life with the coming of spring. And snow is silent. It falls thousands of feet and lands without a sound. And Christmas is a time to block out the world's noise for a day and to be moved to silence because of God's unspeakable gift. And snow is unique. We're told in textbooks that no two snowflakes are alike. And of course, this reminds me of the uniqueness of each of God's children. Now, whether it snows where you live or not, I pray that yours will definitely be a white Christmas as you meditate on the one born to live and to die and to come again for us. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.